Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, March 11th. We begin with acknowledging the thousands of lives lost during the COVID-19 pandemic, as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has proclaimed March 11th a national day of observance. We read the names of lost ones as sent in by you, the listener. Meghan Markle's revelations on her struggles with mental health issues are helping to bring awareness to this widespread issue. We speak with a doctor who specializes in mental health and addiction on the steps we can take to help friends and family members who might be struggling. Next, we continue our conversation on sexual misconduct allegations within the Canadian military. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block, brings us new details of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's knowledge of the allegations dating back to 2018. And finally, it eventually affects every single woman, menopause. We catch up with author Dana Goldstein, who's penned an informative and entertaining book on the topic titled Murder on My Mind, A Memoir of Menopause. 813 now, Sue and Andy with you, and Canada designating today a National Day of Observance for COVID-19, remembering all those who have lost through this past year, through the pandemic, and the numbers have been many, sadly, and particularly here in Alberta. So we asked you to send us in the names of your loved ones. If there's somebody that's you that you have lost through this pandemic, we want to acknowledge them and say their name for you. And uh, we got a text early this morning from Roger, who said he heard today was National Observance Day. He said he just buried his mom a week ago after she lost her battle with COVID and he wants to remind people that wearing a mask is to protect those who are most vulnerable like his mom. Her name was Evelyn, and uh, we would like to honor her for you, Roger. So thank you for telling us a little bit about Evelyn. She and Roger's dad lived together in a lodge. They both tested positive three weeks ago. Dad survived, fought it off, only suffering chills and slight headaches. Mom had Parkinson's. He says Roger does the, the hardest part about all this is they were supposed to get their vaccines back in January. But of course, as we know, that got delayed right across the country. He found out a week after mom died, the home was scheduled for vaccinations. Too late for her dad got his shot he's doing okay and uh, he just was happy that we would be able to say her name and and we're thinking about you roger and the loss of your mom evelyn another sad one here of covid memorial my grandmother anna uswishin passed away in november 5th just days after her 100th birthday missed by her family rose sending one in that says I don't know anyone who has died of COVID-19, but I do know a few who have recovered and survived. I want to celebrate them. This is coming from Rose, and the names of these two are Karen and Ian. And we're glad that, you know, there there have been so many who have recovered from it, but sadly so many that we've lost. And we got a text as well from somebody who would like uh, their family member recognized today. They lost a family member, 70-year-old Gurdiel Singh. So we're thinking about Gurdiel Singh's family today as well. This texture saying, please honor Martha Auger, James Adams, and Edward Adams. These are our beautiful family members that we have lost to COVID-19. So many names, sadly, you know, as we said, right across this country and right here in Alberta. So I think it's important to remember that there have been people that we've lost. Yes, the numbers are far greater of those who have recovered or or simply, you know, just maybe got a little bit of illness or, or didn't get sick at all. But I think we do have to, to remember that there's the extreme side of things and people have lost their lives and we still need to be vigilant and work hard until we can all get that vaccine. 
vaccine and move forward through this thing. And believe me, from a media standpoint, each and every day we run down the numbers and the updates. It's news. It is news that is organic and changes every day. At the end, when we talk about the new cases, when we talk about the positivity rate, when we talk about the hospitalizations, and we do mention deaths at the end, it's by no means... Uh, to, to minimize or marginalize the fact that we have lost people to this. I've got another text that says, Good morning. Could you please remember a buddy of mine who lost his life due to COVID-19? His name is Barry Johnson. We are coming up on the 2000 mark uh, pretty quickly here as to those who have lost their lives right here in Alberta. So hopefully that, uh, you know, I, I know sometimes it's just nice for people to acknowledge that you've lost someone that you love and to say their name. And hopefully that uh, gives you a little bit of uh, solace today. And, of course, this does something we spoke with Shay Ganim about earlier. And Shay's program kicks off at 9.30 this morning about a lot of these conspiracy theories. We're hearing, we're reading, and we're hearing the stories of the names of these people that have personally been lost in our city. It is no pandemic, uh, particularly when you're having to deal with the death of a loved one. And not just that, mm-hmm. during this time when you can't even have a proper and a right funeral service to remember and, and do the send-off that you'd expect and, and that every single one of these people deserve. Dr. Glennis Lieb is the Executive Director of Lieutenant Governor's Circle on Mental Health and Addiction and joins us now to talk about this issue. Good morning, Dr. Lieb. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I think it's really important and, you know, the more we talk about this, the better. But, you know, this interview may have triggered a lot of people who also felt they're not getting enough support from those around them. Are you hearing Mm -hmm. and and seeing that? And, and, And that seems to be an experience that people are getting out of this interview? I think that's, yeah, I think that's a very real concern. And that was certainly, I, I did watch the interview and that certainly hit me at the time. Um, and I think that could resonate with a lot of folks because often if we do find the courage to say something, it's, it's often to somebody who, who we love, who's close to us. Um, and with that comes the belief that they'll be there for us. But the complexity there is that people who are very invo- emotionally invested in us, um, can't extricate themselves for that. So if they feel that, you know, their, their partner, their loved one is at risk, um, there's fear that comes with that, fear, defensiveness, and sometimes that, you know, that leads to denial or downplaying. And sometimes it leads to feelings of self-blame in that too. So there's a lot of emotional complexities that can lead people to not get the reaction that they, they need or want from somebody close to them. And then that can cause additional risks and tension and feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Lee, besides, you know, uh, maybe the green light to, to search out help for your, yourself or as a family member to say, hey, maybe it's time you, you, you got some help. Do you think that this has also maybe helped to move forward the what, what may, maybe people consider poor optics if you have to ask for help? Because in this case, it was her coming forward after a, a family that everybody knows was saying, oh, it might not look too good for the family. Absolutely. And I think that is something that, you know, so many folks have dealt with. And, and, you know, whether you're the royal family or not, there's still the optics and there's still the feeling, unfortunately, um, which is why the Lieutenant Governor's Circle came into existence. There's still the feeling of shame and stigma. And you always hear people say that, you know, if a loved one had cancer, um, there would be no shame in telling people mm-hmm. that this is what we're going through. But now there's, you know, what are people, you know, what are people going to think? I hear that all the time. And I've done a lot of work, you know, even outside of families in workplaces around mental health awareness. And we still find that people are very open to saying that they will help somebody else. They will support somebody else. 
they're still not open to being the ones to ask for help. You know, there's still that disconnect where, you know, so, um, and we know there's still price, there's still a price to be paid. Uh, we know that people still get um, judged. Um, you know, I've seen people who work for mental health serving organizations um, have their jobs negatively impacted by coming forward with mental health diagnoses. You know, this is it's still there. It's very real. And then, Doctor, I would imagine complicating things was the reaction from a lot of people. Oh, they're just rich and they're celebrities. Yes. We should. Why do we care? Oh, they've got money. They can do whatever they want and get all the help. She should have just just walked mm-hmm. away and we kind of mm-hmm. we kind of hear that you know too when it comes to sexual assault victims and no yep. wonder they don't want to report well no wonder people with mental health issues don't want to speak up too absolutely and you know there's there's um this desire that human beings have this desire to uh, we call it desire for mastery to feel like we can make sense of the world and we're taught that you know we're taught by media all the time that if you have money if you're beautiful you know if you're famous um you know things should be good right and so we believe in that and i think you know a lot of that visceral negative reaction to her comes from this Mm -hmm. you know this you know but, but, but I've been, you know, this is our, I've been led to understand if I just accomplish these things, right? If I just lose those 10 pounds, if I just make more money, you know, those sort of, if I just get the career I want, um, I will be happy. And unfortunately, life doesn't work like that. It's not that simple. And, um, and that, and that's a hard thing for us to accept when it's been, you know, we've been socialized to believe that we just need to work harder to be happier, you know? This has been a tough time over the past year for all of us, Dr. Lee. And mm-hmm, I know that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the lay person like myself, Sue, and, and I'd say 99% of the other people out there aren't trained, uh, you know, to, to be aware of, of issues that our loved ones, friends, family, and coworkers might be uh, going through. So how mm-hmm. can we get the clues that someone's not just down in the dumps and having a bad day and uh, should seek professional help? That's a great question. I think the biggest barrier to us seeing this in our loved ones, again, is our fear of seeing it in our loved ones. People often know, and, you know, anyone in this field will tell you, you know, so many times people have said after the fact, you know, I, I you know, I should have seen the signs. They were, you know, they stopped you know, they stopped taking joy in things. They were talking very negatively about themselves. You know, those times, I should have seen it, I should have seen it. And they blame themselves after the fact. But the truth is, you know, again, our desire to protect um, ourselves and our loved ones often prevents us from allowing ourselves to see it. We have to face the the fear and the uncomfortableness that comes with allowing us to to follow our guts and to really notice if somebody is um is saying or doing things that uh, that are possible indicators that they're struggling and that is not downplaying it right um that is taking it serious it's listening when we're very afraid to listen and it doesn't and it also the thing that people express the most in you know, in a lot of the training I've done is the fear that they won't know what to say or that they'll say the wrong thing. And that is that is not something that people should worry about. It's listening. Listening is 90% of what needs to happen. Um, and then figuring out together. Often people can figure out for themselves a way forward if they have a sounding board, somebody who objectively, non-judgmentally can listen through things with them, right? This isn't always the case, but many times it is. When I was training way back in master's, I remember one of my favorite clinical therapists, you know, he said, um, if somebody says to me, if one of my clients says to me, I've figured things out, I don't know what you did, but I've figured this out, he's like, then I know I've done my job. 
you know, and that's where, you know, we're not, we're not professional therapists in our personal lives, but um, we can listen. We can hear people. Even if we don't know the answers, mm-hmm. we can listen. We can help them find them. Well, if nothing else, I'm glad this just allows us to continue the conversation. So exactly. thank you so much for joining us mm-hmm. this morning. Appreciate your My time. My pleasure. Take care. You too. That is Dr. Glynis Lieb, Executive Director, Lieutenant Governor's Circle on Mental Health and Addiction. And if you are in any trouble, if you need help, if you need to reach out, calgarycounseling.com is the Calgary Counseling Centre. Wonderful people there able to help you out and, and you know, speak up if, if you see somebody else in trouble. It never hurts to ask somebody if they're doing all right. Mm-hmm. 842 now, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says his office knew back in 2018 that Defence Minister Harjit Sejan had passed an allegation against General Jonathan Vance to the Privy Council office. So why was nothing done about it? We get the latest from Mercedes Stevenson, who's been tracking this since she broke the story a couple of weeks ago. She is, of course, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi again, Mercedes. Hi, Sue. Also, what did you make of yesterday's news with this announcement from the PM? Well, I thought that it was quite striking because um, we've been asking questions about who knew since the day we broke the story. Um, And in fact, I had spoken to the Prime Minister's office on three separate occasions about this. And I'd asked them whether the Prime Minister or any of the officials in his office were aware of this. And what we had been told, um, both on the record and on deep background, was that they found out about this from Global's reporting. Um, and that they they were not aware of allegations against the chief. So now we have this change in tune of them saying, actually, we were aware. And, and keep in mind, this came after the Globe and Mail broke this story a few days ago, saying that Elder Marquez, one of the senior advisors uh, to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the time, uh, also someone whose name we heard around the SNC-Lavalin controversy, uh, had been made aware by Zita Astravest, who was then Sajjan's chief of staff. Um, So that's what the Globe reported. And we've been, you know, following up and saying, is this true? Is it not? What's going on? Um, And then the prime minister came out yesterday and said, uh, yes, uh, there were officials in my office who knew. And that will lead to a whole bunch of other questions. Why did they tell the prime minister? Um, Why, when the decision was made to keep Vance in that position much longer than is typical, much longer than any other defense chief in history. Why, when they were giving him a raise, did no one ever say, you know, there were concerns that were brought forward? Um, I believe, based on what I have been told by senior sources, that these were the concerns, the same ones in 2018, um, that were brought by the ombudsman to the minister. At that time, they didn't have an identity, and in fact, they still don't have an identity of that complainant or specifics. Um, but the issue becomes when it's, it's that serious of an allegation yeah. of sexual misconduct. Um, why did no one follow up more than they did? Uh, did they have more evidence? No, no one is suggesting, you know, run a, a witch hunt and, and convict somebody without investigating. But if they'd taken even a few minutes to look, they would have found out that in 2015, Vance had been investigated by the military police based on allegations he was having an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate. That woman is now his wife. He was never charged in that investigation, and the results of it have never been released. Uh, But perhaps if if they'd started looking and seeing, well, okay, this is actually the second time someone has made these kinds of allegations, uh, would they have dug further? Would they have found more? What would they have found? We don't know. Uh, John Vance denies ever uh, having acted improperly in any way, shape, or form uh, related to sexual misconduct. But uh, it does raise the question of, 
if you're going to be a government that says you're a feminist government and you believe women, yes, it is a challenge when you don't have a complainant and you don't have specifics, uh, but is kind of simply being aware of it and then not pursuing it any further um, an acceptable answer? And, and why wasn't the Prime Minister's office honest in saying whether or not they knew about this over the past now almost six weeks? Well, Conservative and NDP critics are saying that the government's handling amounts to a cover-up. And now if there's a paper trail that uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had knowledge of this three years ago, uh, this is a bad look. The optics are are crazy. And you say he was outright questioned about this. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it it is something that happened three years ago. And I was sort of told by... uh, some senior folks that, well, you know, three years ago, and you have to go back and check, okay, but this was the chief of the defense staff. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not like an allegation was made against a junior staffer, and you might not maybe remember it. Uh, When an allegation about somebody in that kind of a power position is made, it should stand out in people's memories. Uh, Now, Elder Marquez no longer is with the government or in the prime minister's office. Is that why they didn't know about it when we first asked? Uh, Did they do their due diligence on checking? Were they trying to be super, super specific by saying these allegations which we had now detailed out since they didn't actually know what it was to use that as cover and say, well, we didn't know about these allegations. Uh, But certainly the sense that I had when I talked to the Prime Minister's office early on in this was that they had no sense of it, not just these particular ones, uh, but, you know, things were said like we take this very seriously. You know, this is a feminist government. Of course we act. No, we didn't know about this. Um, So that kind of general tone went beyond just we didn't know this specific allegation to an implication that if they'd heard something like this, uh, more would have been done. Well, okay, if that's the case, and now we know you did know, why wasn't more done? So I think that... um, that's a big question for this government right now. You're not kidding. And boy, the saga continues. We will keep checking in with you on it. Thanks, Mercedes, for all your work on Thank this. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks it. for having me. That's Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 909 and anxiety, insomnia, a body that changes in ways we just don't feel comfortable talking about. Don't cover your ears, my friends. We are getting real and talking menopause with author Dana Goldstein. Uh, That is uh, her brand new book that's out. So we're going to have a little chat with her here about uh, Murder on My Mind, a memoir of menopause. Hi, Dana. Good morning, Sue. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. You are officially an author now, and I'm just uh, scanning through your book and looking at the table of contents and looking at chapters called Body Changes, My First Hot Flash, You Never Listen to Me, Male Menopause, which oddly enough is a blank page, but I love that you have uh, written this book, and and it's for reals about the things that you went through, Dana, but you've done it with such a great sense of humor, too. So talk to us about, you know, how this kind of came about. Not menopause, but the book. So um, I've always been a storyteller, and part of my personality is being very open and honest about what's happening in my life. And I last year, I started to get this inkling that maybe I need to write down some of the experiences I've had with menopause, because I'm a really big believer in sharing my experiences so that other women could know that they were not the only ones going through some of this craziness that happens in this stage of life. And Dana, you know, from from what I've read, and uh, it it seems to me that as a man talking about menopause, you know I have a lot of authority on the topic. (laughs) Um, But uh, from from what I understand, the, the effects can vary widely. Some describe it as torturous. Others get off fairly lightly. So how do you write, uh, you know, a, a book on a topic that can have such a wide range? You know, it's a good question, Andrew. And it's, 
it's my anecdotal experience. So, of course, not everybody's going to experience everything that I did. Some women will have mild symptoms. Some women will have uh, really debilitating uh, symptoms. So I didn't write this as a self-help book or an authoritative book on what menopause will be like for every woman. I wrote it from the perspective of this is what was happening to me over my six years from perimenopause through to postmenopause, and maybe you'll recognize some of your own experiences in what I've been through. Andy's jaw just hit the floor six years. What is she talking about? <laughs> you know, but it's funny, we're, we're so embarrassed to talk about all the things that go on with our bodies and our worlds, and really everybody's going through it with us, whether it's our partners, our kids. A bit, we all need to be a little more open about this topic so everybody understands what the heck is happening. That's absolutely true. You know, as women, we talk more about our children and our labor and our childbirth than we do about this stage of life that's going to last for quite a long period of time. Um, and I think it's helpful to get the conversation started also with spouses because they need to know what's going on. My husband certainly had no clue that I was side-eyeing him and thinking I could murder you right now for no reason other than you're just sitting on the couch reading a book. It sounds pretty harsh. Um, and it's interesting because Sue passed me the book and I flipped through and I couldn't find the chapter you know, on male menopause and on men, and apparently it is. Is, is it truly a blank page? You know, it, I left it as a blank page as part, <laughs> that's part of my humor, um, and I thought it would resonate with people. But also, I'm not really qualified to speak about that. And yeah. I think, I think generally, uh, we have a perception that male menopause is just a midlife crisis. You know, mm-hmm. the fancy car, the young women, all those stereotypes. Um, but to my husband's point. Men do go through a very different kind of menopause, but I didn't want to talk you about it talk. in this book. Well, 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 bringing it back to men, though, and, and it's interesting because you've mentioned your relationship during this time with your husband. What do you think, in your research and in your experience over the past six years, what what, what should men know um, to be supportive and, and to have more of an understanding when it comes to menopause? Uh, lesson number one, tread carefully. <laughs> um, the The most important thing you can do is if you... Notice that your spouse is suddenly not really behaving like they normally have, especially if you've been in a long-term relationship. You know, just bring it up. Talk about it. Invite the conversation. Be willing to listen to, you know, the crazy that, that comes out of our mouths while we're going through this menopause and recognize that we're not really targeting our husbands. We just, you know, we take our angst out on those who are closest to us. And, I mean, we're not enjoying it either. It's not pleasurable to suddenly feel like you're internally combusting and that you think you're losing your mind. Exactly, right? And you have to be willing to talk about that with with your spouse, of what's going through your mind, and don't be afraid of the judgment. My husband read the book after it was uh, probably in draft seven, and was actually kind of upset that I hadn't talked to him at all over six years about what I was going through. Hmm. You decide to write a book on this topic, and, and how was it received as far as, you know, talking to people about the ideas, maybe shopping it around? Uh, what do people say to you? Uh, I get a lot of messages and a lot of emails from women who finally feel like they're at peace and that I've identified some of the symptoms they were experiencing and made them feel like they weren't losing their minds and they weren't going crazy. 
And I'm sure, uh, you know, thankful. And maybe this helps to open the conversation between women, you know, as we talk about what we're all going through. But between everybody in your own household, you might, you might as well talk about it. Because like I said, everybody's going through it together. So if you feel like like Dana did in her book, she said she wanted to set her husband's leg hair on fire. This might be the book for you. Thanks for joining us, Dana. Appreciate it and good luck. Thanks, Sue and Andrew. Have a great day. You too. That's Dana Goldstein, author of Murder on My Mind, A Memoir of Menopause. Women's bodies are so incredibly complicated. You're not And kidding. I don't think we have any idea. And I'm wondering, you know, we've been around women when they're having... Well, we're, we're blown up in the doors. We can talk about anything. Yeah. Yep. When, when, when they've, they've had their period and they're having their period. Uh, and we know that, oh, something's a little different. Mm-hmm. Is it truly a case that it's basically like that but can stick around for years? With, uh, with menopause, yeah. it's a whole different so ballgame. It's game. not the same. It's not the same at all. It's a whole different ballgame, and you're in on fire from the inside out to top it all off. You're, well, we've been in the studio sharing it together, yeah. where there's times where I'm freezing and you say, yeah. I have to turn that heat off completely. It's crazy. So I, I think, you know, this. it's a really, it's a fun, funny book. It's a good way to have a laugh at something that's a really serious subject and maybe open the door to, to talking about it further. Come on, let's face it. We all know it happens. You know, your my mother refused to talk. We're three girls in our family. My mother would not even acknowledge. You didn't get the education from home. No, she would not even acknowledge that she went through menopause or that such a thing even existed. So I think a lot of the times we're left to find this stuff out on our own. Hence the problem with talking about, you know, to our husbands or our partners about it. So, you know, why does it have to be like that? It's. I think it, this is a great opportunity to read a funny book go, okay, I'm not alone, and maybe start chatting more. I was a little shocked when she said girlfriends are more likely when they're getting together for a glass of wine or coffee to talk about their kids yeah. than something that is impacting them so much and has changed their outlook and yeah. physiology. Until you break into a literal sweat and then somebody them, knows. And they say, are you all right? <laughs> Again, it's uh, Murder on My Mind, a memoir of menopause. You can get it online, and Dana's got a website too, danagoldstein.ca, if you want to check it out.